welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that looks at the creative and inspirational influences of Star Wars creators and non-Star Wars creators as it is uh, pertinent. I am John. And I'm Mike. And this week we will be looking at a very prominent uh, Star Wars creator, Ryan Johnson. We're going to be looking at his film, Looper. Um, but before we get to that, of course, we're on the Nerd Party. You can go to the nerdparty.com slash contact, find Great Shot Kid, and drop us a line. You can, of course, go over to facebook.com slash the Nerd Party and find the shows posted there and interact with us uh, on the different comment threads. We are at Join Nerd Party with the hashtag Great Shot Kid over on Twitter and the Nerd Party hashtag Great Shot Kid over on Instagram. So, all that being said, Mike, we are here to discuss Looper by Ryan Johnson, his science fiction epic uh, centering around Joseph Gordon Levitt and Bruce Willis. So, you want to give a synopsis of this? Sure. Um, it's the future, like 2044, and in the future, like 2074, time travel has been invented, and it's quickly been outlawed, but essentially um, criminals, gangsters, have been using it as a way of disposing of, uh, of the bodies. You know, um, if, they have, if they need someone killed, what they will do is instead of killing the person and then, you know, like, you know, burying them out back or whatever it is, you know, they would normally do, they send them back in time to 2044 where uh, people known as loopers are waiting to kill these random victims and dispose of the bodies in the past where they cannot be so easily found I guess. And, uh, you know, uh, it's all good. It's all good for, for, for these gangsters. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is one of these loopers. And, you know, there's like a thing where, you know, eventually, like, once you've outlived your usefulness, they will send your future self back in time so that you can close your loop and kill yourself kill your future self and then retire to a life of luxury and there's been a lot of this going on and uh eventually joseph gordon levitt's future self comes back and then hijinks ensue oh boy do hijinks ensue and uh as if that is not dense enough we have to add in the fact that humanity has apparently mutated to have people who have telekinetic powers as well. And they're not always... Uh, basically, they put it out there that the, the TK people don't have tremendous ability. They can do basically parlor tricks. They can make things levitate and stuff like that. Um, but of course, it comes into play as we go along. It, I think it's impossible to discuss Looper without being in spoiler territory, so I would encourage anybody to have actually watched the film before listening to the discussion. Before we get into the discussion, though, because, you know, with that caveat and everything, 
do you think it's valuable time spent for somebody to go watch Looper and then come back to the conversation? Or do you think that they could live with just listening to us talk about it? It's sort of a an early verdict on Looper here. Well, I mean, I guess what I would say is anyone who's listening to this podcast, I would assume, is interested in the people who are making Star Wars. And obviously, since uh, Episode Eight just came out, well, yesterday, based on, on, on the release of this thing, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Johnson is, you know, the king of the world right now or the king of the galaxy far, far away. <laughs> and I would say that regardless of the quality of this movie, if there was one thing that Ryan Johnson did which got him the job, I'm guessing it's this. You know, I mean, this is definitely sort of the highest profile sci-fi thing that he's done. I don't think they were really looking at Brick and saying, like, you know, maybe they were looking at Breaking Bad. I can see that for sure. But Looper, it's a critically acclaimed science fiction movie, which came out in recent years, you know, from an up and coming director, which kind of signals uh, the type of talent that you know they seemed at least early on to be looking for when it comes to making these movies. So if you want, I mean, if you're at all interested in the subject of of this podcast, that I would say, yeah, Looper is required viewing. If you're just looking for a good movie, um, you could watch Looper if you want. It's it is a good movie. I found it frustrating at several points. Um, yeah because of the fact that I think that it was some really good ideas. Like, it, it it very much plays to me as something that was just on the cusp of being magnificent. Like, it was, al- like it was almost there. It, there are certain parts of this, like the whole concept of the looper and then closing your loop, I, I thought was wonderful. I was like, wow, this is super cool. Or the fact that, he goes for it and, you know, when it happens and Joseph Gordon-Levitt has to worry about, you know, wait, am I going to do something different later? How am I going to evade this? You know, because, of course, he has to break the loop. Otherwise, Bruce Willis's appearance in this film is, you know, <laughs> very short. And so those are great ideas. The TK stuff is just unnecessary. Like, it's so there to be there. And not, you know, like like I, I look at things uh, when, when movies are structured, and I know I'm not alone in this. I, like, I'm one of those people that looks at things, and when I start breaking it down in my brain, I think to myself, was this necessary to be in here, or did it distract? And I think the TK stuff is pure distraction, because the whole thing with the kid is cool, but it feels like another idea that's been grafted on top of this idea. Like, this would have been a much better movie that stayed focused on Joseph Gordon-Levitt struggling with how am I going to beat myself in the past? Am I anticipating, like, have I changed the way I'm going to behave in the future? And is that affecting my past? And, you know, that sort of thing. Like, at its core, that's the type of movie I think that would have functioned a lot better. Yeah, it's not like... Star Wars, for example, where you're in a galaxy far, far away where you can have spaceships and you can have aliens and you can have monsters and you can have magic and you can have all these things and you're basically 
building a world from scratch, which is, you know, fantastic on every level. Like, this is a movie which is set up to take place, like, 30 years in the future. And you're making this huge leap with this time travel stuff. But then, you know, which is fine, because it's like, it's the future. We've developed time travel. 60 years in the future, because, you know, even that, it, it, you know, they're, they're time traveling to the past, which is our future. You know, and it's like, okay, that's fine. I can totally accept that. That's the premise of the movie. You have no movie without that. But then to say, like, oh, and also, completely unrelated, humans have mutated, and now they can, you know, levitate things. That, like you're saying, it does feel grafted on. It feels like, okay, now you're you're asking us to make two leaps, two completely unrelated right. leaps. Right. It's like, pick one. You know, or whatever. You know, I, I don't know. It's just It just seems to be a little too much in that regard. And like you're saying, it does feel grafted on. It doesn't feel like it's at all really necessary to the story. I mean, yeah, you're, you're dealing with that, and it does play into the plot, but you could very easily, I think, alter things in order to thematically get your point across without introducing this other weird sci-fi element. Yeah, and and speaking of other... Okay, first and foremost, I, I do want to say as one of the other loopers is Paul Dano, who, of course, most people are going to remember and love at, from his role in There Will Be Blood. Yes. And uh, he's really good, and I enjoyed seeing him uh, demonstrated as somebody who had trouble closing their own loop and the measure so that he becomes the demonstration for what they do to get you to wind up closing your own loop in the end. Like it's, it's not one of those things where if your future self runs away, they're like, Oh, well too bad. Like they have ways of making it work so that there, there's no way to leave the loop open as it were. I really had a problem with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's makeup in this. <laughs> really? It is distracting the way that they made him up in an effort to make him look more Bruce Willis-ish. And it is not necessary what they did. Like, they, they, they did this weird shaving with his eyebrows and then this weird forehead hairpiece thing that, that's happening. And... It is a, like, I understand they're, you know, you're going to have these two actors next to each other, and so you've got, but we have all been conditioned. Give him some makeup, give him a hair piece, maybe have him, you know, shot in different lighting and stuff like that. We've all been conditioned to accept that younger actors who aren't the actual actor are playing, you know, different versions of themselves. We're willing to ride with it. And I think that the makeup steps that they took with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you're kind of living with it. And then there's a scene where they're talking to each other face-to-face -face at a diner, and it falls apart for me. Where I'm like, it really draws attention to the fact that Joseph Gordon-Levitt has had a bunch of stuff done to make him look more Bruce Willis-ish. The big thing is the nose. I guess apparently, yeah. you know, from, from what people have said, Bruce Willis is 
very, very fond of his profile, and he considers that to be sort of like his trademark because of the, his nose, and which has a very distinctive shape and everything like that. And they gave you know Joseph Gordon-Levitt the nose. That that was the thing that really stood out to me. And I think if they had scaled everything else back and just had that, it would have you know gone a long way. I mean, to me, like when I saw it, I was just like, oh, they did a good job of making him look like Bruce Willis. And you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a good job, I think, of sort of like picking up on Willis's mannerisms and stuff like that. Um, sure. You know, and, and I guess because I knew about that going into it, like I accepted that it looked kind of weird. But at the same time, I was like, it really does look like kind of a young Bruce Willis in, in a lot of ways. But, you know, a, to speak to your point, um, the other day when I sat down to watch it, you know, my wife, who knew literally nothing about this movie going into it, like, she sits down and Joseph Gordon-Levitt shows up on screen and she's like, what do they do to his face? <laughs> yes. Know? Like yeah. it, instantly it's like something's wrong. You know, there's like an uncanny valley thing going on with Joseph yes, Gordon-Levitt. Yes, exactly movie. right. Exactly and right. So yes. I can totally see why it would be distracting. For me, I guess as someone who came into it with that knowledge and everything, I was like, oh, good job, guys. But as someone who's going into it completely blind, I can see how it would be distracting. You want to know how you solve the problem? And I, I know I know this seems silly and, you know, to go back and nitpick and say, oh, well, this is what I would have done. But this is what I would have done. I would have had a moment or a scene or what have you where he gets bashed in the nose and then he's got a bandage on it. And like then I'm not paying attention to it. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, he got hit in the nose. And so when they're side by side, I'm not sitting there saying, this doesn't match. This isn't right. But all of that aside, like, with this, I, I see, I think, what would be attractive, you know, besides the fact that, like you mentioned, you know, you, you've got a sci-fi property that, that receives some accolades by an up-and-coming director who, you know, obviously can manage... A, a big star in Bruce Willis, you know, and, and and make it through, which if you listen to Kevin Smith's stories, it's not necessarily easy to work with Bruce Willis. But and you know. and, and by the way, I, I actually have not listened to this podcast, but there is a an episode of one of Kevin Smith's podcasts where he interviews Ryan Johnson, you know, and talks about I think his entire career, but in particular Looper, and obviously, you know, two filmmakers who have worked with Bruce Willis, they're going to share some yeah. stories and. From from what Smith has said elsewhere, like his experience with Bruce Willis is not Johnson's. Apparently, with Ryan Johnson, Bruce Willis was you know a total professional and really delivered. So, interest that's see that's really interesting because given all of Kevin Smith's stories where he talks about how how many jerks he's you know all all of that stuff where he's exposing the jerkitude in the in the industry. Well, then if you're well, looking at common factors in all of those stories there is one no and i would well, just say okay, that first, i don't you know, know what, i i'm not sure what, what you're referring to in terms of like all the jerks in the industry because i haven't really i don't know i, I don't but there are definitely a lot of filmmakers out there who side with kevin smith i think glenn wiseman comes to the top of the list and uh what well, is that the, the fourth diehard movie yes Bruce and, Willis didn't want to be there. He was only there because he wanted Tears yeah, of the Sun made. Exactly. And yes. if you look at all of his movies, it all seems to be like that. But I think there are a lot more people 
who fall on the Kevin Smith side of things than fall on the Ryan Johnson side of things. And I think, you know, like you look at the people who don't have problems with him, it's the people who he trusts, the people who he's like Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, you know, Ryan Johnson, you know, M. Night Shyamalan, like people who have basically made his career and they're like, we want to do something weird, cool, whatever. And he's like, let's do this. But, you know, for those movies where he's like, this is a paycheck for me. He's like, I do not care about this. But I think Looper might have been like a, a, a script that Willis read and was like, this is cool. I want to do this. You know, okay. whereas Cop Out was something where he's like, this will pay for my house. You, you know, right. you know what I mean? Yes, I do. I, I know exactly what you mean. I look, I, I couldn't resist the urge to you know throw a little shade at Kevin Smith. You yeah, know that. Yeah, that's you good. know that. But I mean, do, does that even speak you know speak well with Johnson because considering all the problems that they've had with I mean, there were rumors for instance from the solo set afterwards I mean undoubtedly a story planted probably by Disney friendly publicists or what have you that there was tension on the set between Lord and Miller and and certain members of the cast which led to a lot of problems and you know was one of the motivations to to ditch them for the solo movie is it possible that abrams and johnson are a template for the type of director they want to work with because they get along with it doesn't matter who's starring in the movie kevin smith has a bad experience with bruce willis ryan johnson doesn't everybody seems to love jj abrams you know like is it one of those things where they're looking for people who aren't just talents but who are peacemakers, who know how to gently cajole somebody into giving them what they want. That could be. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of big egos on these episode movies, right? I mean, presumably, I'm not saying that like Mark Hamill has a big ego or whatever, but certainly you've got like the established stars and then you've got the people who have never been in a movie before in their lives, right? And you need someone who can manage both and i mean i'm not i'm not trying believe me i'm not trying to say that like mark hamill and carrie fisher I, have big e- i know e- that you're because not. everyone says they're not. like the nicest people in the world you know and, and very supportive of young talent and all that stuff but y- you know what i'm saying right i mean I you're do. dealing I, with I like know. yeah and and you know so so it could be that you know i i think i i almost think that you know what they saw with with looper was a guy who has a, a strong sense of like science fiction in world building. And also, I mean, someone who, I mean, I think they were, you know, they, they might've, you know, really liked the movie and everything, but I think they also were sort of looking at the critical reaction and really trying to, you know, make an impact with sort of like the fan community and it being the type of thing kind of like JJ was where it's like, you know, J.J. Abrams is someone who is very well respected by fans. He's very well respected by, you know, film critics and everything like that. The same could be said of Ryan Johnson. I mean, fans may not know who he is so much, but like he made a science, an original science fiction movie, which was very much praised by critics, you know, and I think that 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 probably went a long way. But there's also just sort of like raw filmmaking talent that you see there. This And this is why this movie is such a conundrum for me. I mean, 
on the whole, like, I cannot get past the fact that the time travel, to me anyway, like, basically doesn't make any sense. There's too many holes in, in, we, okay, in the we, premise. We've, we've hit time travel discussions before. What is the specific problem with this premise of time travel for you? Well, there's two. One, there's the whole thing which, you know, people bring up all the time, which is, like, they're transporting people not just through time but also through space, right? Yes, so, because they are appearing at a different spot than they were at okay. when they were transported. Yes. So instead of transporting them to a cornfield where a guy can just shoot them and then dispose of the body, transport them to the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Problem right. solved, right? There's yes. one. Okay, and, and I know the response to that is, well, if you do that, then you have no movie. And I but guess my, my counter argument yeah. is, well, then maybe you have no movie, you know, <laughs> but and whatever, I, I you know, agree. I mean, there's That's... that. And, and, you know, I mean, I can forgive that stuff like with Back to the Future. And maybe it's because I grew up with it. Maybe if I saw Back to the Future for the first time now, I'd be like, this doesn't make any sense. But, you know, I can forgive that stuff on a certain level. And but there's like the whole thing, like where they give the where they show like Paul Dano and use that as sort of like an example for yeah. how time travel works. Like that doesn't make any sense to me because it's like you're saying, I mean, once you do a certain thing, even though only one thing has quote unquote been done, you're Mm -hmm. still setting events in motion, which will lead to something else, which causes, and, and we see it because we see like someone will, you know, like cut a message into a person's arm and then their future self will have a scar with that. It's like, well, you're already setting events in motion, like the fact that 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 wound will heal. So aren't you also setting in motion the fact that this guy is going to be, you know, executed? So why doesn't he just disappear right away instead of having to go through the process of mutilation or whatever? It Right. To me, it just doesn't make any sense, and I know that it's something which you're supposed to just go with, but... I have problems with that. And maybe I'm not understanding it fully. Maybe the problem is with me, but I, I really don't think it is. I really don't think it is. No, I, I don't. I wouldn't say that the problem is with you. I would say that the problem lies in the fact where you you roll with time travel stuff, I think, so long as it is a, a an element or even core to the story, so long as you don't have a bigger ask. Okay, we, we, we've sat here and we've sort of beat up on the why do you need the TK thing. So let me throw it at, you know, at Jim Cameron's feet here. The time travel for your same thing about space time displacement things. You could make all of these arguments about, well, if you can figure out time travel, you can figure out drift of blah, 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 blah. I mean, like there, there are so many factors that go into that. And you can just say math. You know, and it's like, okay, I'll just ignore that because it's not like I'm working on the theories of time travel or anything like that. But it's a different ask to have, like, Cameron has it happen at the beginning, and you know that it's a thing, and they talk about it, but it's not something that they sit there and revisit by having somebody scar themselves, to have you sit there and say, well, how would that work? Because, honestly, if you look at that example... It's like if Spock Prime comes back in Star Trek 09 and somebody punches young Spock in the nose 
and breaks it, that doesn't mean that older Spock Prime is going to have a broken nose because they're both existing in that time. So in terms of, you know, j just the simple idea that they are at that point two separate individuals occupying the same time and space, what you do to younger self shouldn't even affect older self because it's not... You know, like they become two separate identities at that point. There's two. And, you know, I, I mean, it, it. And what are the names of these? There's two separate types, like theories of time travel. One is yeah. that it is just one big continuum, and the other is that is the Star Trek thing where it's like once you change something, you're branching off and creating an alternate timeline. And this one suggests that there's one big continuum, but I, I feel like it's also you know, trying to, to, to get into the alternate timeline thing as well, you know, I'm, yeah. uh, and that that's the problem that Back to the Future has, is it tries to do both. And Right, and, and this definitely does try to do both because he takes an action mm -hmm. that therefore mitigates and destroys, like, the, and this whole thing, and, and on top of that, okay, what is the sense if this powerful telekinetic kid is going to grow up and he's wiping out all the loopers because they killed his mom. Mm -hmm. If he's as powerful as we've seen here, why would you bother? Go like, he can just walk along and just, like, brain kill everybody. He can just walk up and be like, hey, you ever see scanners? No? Well, you're about to experience it. You know, like, that's how powerful this kid is. So why? Well, I think that's what the whole, you know, sort of, like, theme of the movie is you know just the idea of like no one is born inherently evil and even though like absolute power corrupts absolutely if someone is nurtured in a certain way they can potentially you know harness that power and use it to change the world for the better and that's what sort of like the goal was with the kid well you know, i'm sure but the but the thing is i'm saying like why is the kid I don't know. I, I mean, I, I just think I think it overcomplicates itself. It's one of those things where I now we will have seen The Last Jedi by the time this episode comes out. So who knows? But watching Looper makes me happy that Johnson is working with a team that obviously is very control freakish about, you know, what lines you're, you know, He's going to have a lot of people that are going to check his thinking with something where he's going to he could write a looper like script for episode eight and somebody's going to sit there and check the math and be like, eh, no, let's pull back on that. You know, like he he's going to have a lot of people looking at that script and he's going to have to make it work for you. You know what I'm saying? Like I he, his. I think that he falls victim to his uh, greater sense of autonomy on Looper, whereas yeah, Episode Eight could very easy easily keep him in check. I would hope. Yeah, and and here's the thing about that: like, as as much as like I have problems with with that stuff, like you get into like the the thing where Bruce Willis comes back in time, he he knocks out Joseph Gordon Levitt, and then we restart and we see the whole story of what happened originally and the whole history of Joseph Gordon-Levitt after he, you know, killed himself and 
basically becomes Bruce Willis, right? And you watch that sequence and the way that it's placed in the movie and you're just like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life, right? It's so well done. And the way that it's not like force fed to you, like, I mean, like I had seen the movie before, like when it came out and like I'm sitting there with my wife watching it and she's like, what's going on? Why am I seeing this again? And I'm like, I don't, no. And then as it progresses, it's like, oh, God, this is what, you know, and, and that was like the same reaction that I had in the theater. I had just forgotten about it. But just the way that it's done is so cool. And you like, that's what excites me about him doing, you know, Star Wars is, you know, he's an A plus filmmaker and storyteller when it comes to, you know, like visual storytelling, you know, like maybe his his plot has some, you know, questionable logic that it's built on. But as far as just like taking a script and, you know, putting it up on screen, you know, whether the script is good as good or bad, like interpreting that individuals and getting it up on screen, like he is awesome. I mean, you can see that in Breaking Bad. You can see that in Brick, you know? And I, I think that's the cool thing. I, I'm I'm worried about him as a writer, but I am so ready for him as a director. You know what I mean? I do, because the Star Wars films have always added something. The episodes have always added some new visual tick, something new about, you know, I always point to the visions. In Empire Strikes Back, Luke talks about hearing people. And in, you know, Revenge of the Sith, you actually see Anakin's vision, like what Luke presumably would have, you know, would have been experiencing in his head sort of thing. And then with Episode 7, Ray, you actually see Ray inhabiting a Force vision. So looking at Looper and keeping in mind Brick, I am very intrigued because Johnson has a very definite way of taking this isn't going to be the right term, but this, it's just the term that comes to mind, taking an act break. is he? And looking at what he did with Breaking Bad as well. If they give him, gave him, because again, the movie's come out by the time you hear this, if they gave him the leeway to do that unique thing, then I'm probably my past self is excited that that happened because I like when something new is introduced into it, like stretch the template each time sort of thing. And so if I see that sort of cadence and the way he, he constructs it, that's a, that's a win. That's a good thing. It's almost like we're living in Looper where, you know, Star yes. Wars has episode eight has already been released. We've already seen it. And yet this is a conversation about us not seeing it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. That is really, yeah. Okay, so if people want to close that loop and talk to you now about what you said then on this show that they're hearing in the future, where can they reach you online? You can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. You can also find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, doing a show called Commentary Track Stars, And you can find me on Trek.fm doing a show called The Edge and another show called Stage 9 with you. 
Yes, you're doing Stage 9 with me over on Trek.fm. I am also back here on the Nerd Party co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. And out there in the ether, I am co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And if you want to find me on social media, look for Kessel Junkie. So thank you for joining us as we discussed Looper. I hope that you, Mike, in the future, which is the past, have enjoyed or will enjoy The Last Jedi. And I hope I do, too. And I hope everybody who's listening to it, I hope that this is a great Star Wars experience for everybody. And tune in next week as we undoubtedly, like everybody else in the world, like I'd say about 75% of the podcasts out there, we'll be talking about Ryan Johnson's Episode 8. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.